Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Leadership Student Podcast with M.K. Palmore. We are all lifelong learners, and nowhere is this more relevant than in the practice of leadership. Our goal is continual learning and improvement. Let's get after it. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey folks, this is MK Palmore. Welcome to this edition of the Leadership Student Podcast. Today in the virtual studio, I'm joined by Mac McMillan, who is a former CEO, in fact, CEO Emeritus of Synergist Tech, member of several advisory boards, also a retired United States Marine. Mac and I have gotten acquainted with one another over the years. I found his experience in the field of leadership to be deep and substantial, and I'm excited about having Mac in the virtual studio. Thank you, and good to see you again, MK. Awesome. So, Mac, I want to jump right into it with you. You and I both come from military backgrounds, but we had started a discussion before we hit the record button around whether or not there's a difference between how you lead in military circles and how you lead in business. So if you wouldn't mind, so I I know that your approach to this may surprise some folks. Give just a little bit about your background and then maybe jump into the question itself. Sure. So a little bit of background, as MK said, I started out my career after college in the Marine Corps and uh, spent 21 years uh, as a Marine before I retired. I transitioned to the private sector and and after working for a short time for a company, I, I decided to to start my own company and, and with another individual, we founded Logistech and grew that company, knock on wood, fortunately, successfully, and we're able to have a positive exit. And today I'm what I call semi-retired. And as MK said, I sit on various advisory boards and, and spend my time helping folks that ask for it from time to time. Outstanding. And military style leadership in business, seamless <laughs> for you? How would you describe the difference? For me, it's seamless. I I don't really believe that I changed the way I lead or I have led both from whether it was military or or my private sector time. And I think that's partly because I believe that there are certain traits that a leader has or a leader demonstrates that makes you a leader that that carry over regardless. And, And whether you're a CEO or whether you're a company commander or what have you. And I think that people recognize those traits in a person as a leader, regardless of whether you're wearing a uniform or you're wearing a suit. I think the first one is confidence. People don't want to follow somebody that isn't confident. I think another one is what I call deliberateness, meaning they want you to be consistent and deliberate in what you do. They don't, again, they don't like wishy-washy people (laughs) to follow. What's he, where is he today? What, who's he going to be? Fairness. And fairness is not necessarily fairness in terms of a situation, it's fairness across the board. And and understanding that sometimes you you may have to make hard decisions that seem rather harsh, but they're they're for the betterment of the entire organization. And that's what a leader has to do. A leader has to understand what's good for everybody, not just good for one, one person. While they may have compassion for the individual or for the situation, they still have to look out for the integrity of the group or the integrity of the entire the entire herd, so to speak, if you will. Integrity is a big issue, right? 
if they can't trust you, if they don't, if they can't believe in, in what you're telling them, it's very hard for people to follow you, right? It's just, it's just that simple. And I talked about compassion there for a second. I think compassion is huge. People have this idea that in the military, there's no compassion. I, I beg to differ. I, I probably shed as many tears as a, as a, as a Marine as I did as, as a civilian in terms of situations that touched my heart or touched me as, a, as an individual with respect to the people that I was leading. We care very deeply for the folks that we lead in, in the military. And I care very deeply for the folks that I led in my civilian capacity. And I think compassion is important. And they know if you have compassion, they'll know in a heartbeat whether you really care. Who, how do you know your people? Do you know who, 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 anything about them? Do you know where they went to school? Do you know who they're married to? Do you know if they have children? If they like certain things or not? Do you even, do you talk to your people? Do you spend time with them? It's, and they can sense it. They can feel when that's genuine and whether you, whether or not you really care or not. But I think when you get right down to it in, in, in terms of, a leader, first and foremost, it displays confidence and displays, you get up there and you say, I used to tell people all the time that entrepreneurs have one thing in common. They get up every morning and they believe that they can do what they've set out to do. They're not, they, because there are times when you start a business where you, where there's rough spots or where you can't pay yourself a salary because you got to take care of everybody else or whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, you believe that you're going to be successful. You believe that you're going to get it done. And when you believe it, the people that are following you will believe it. And because they can sense that, that level of confidence in you. And when they see you do it and when they see you accomplish things and get across that finish line over and over again, eventually they believe that they can follow you and they want to follow you because they have that faith in you and they have that confidence in you too. And it helps, it helps build confidence in them, but it's, I don't care whether it's military, whether it's football, whether it's corporate America, leadership is leadership. And I think those traits uh, that I talked about uh, are synonymous across the board. I really do. So the traits that you sprinkled out through the response, Many of them are identified by the Marine Corps as, as those traits and characteristics necessary to become an effective leader. Do you think that among those traits, compassion, fairness, integrity, what you described as intentionality, I think, if I'm not, if I don't want to paraphrase, but a lot of the threads I pull out there, among those characteristics, are there a few that stick out to you as just like absolutely critical? If you don't have these, there's no way you're going to be successful. Yeah. As a leader, I think confidence is number one. I think integrity is probably number two. People have to believe that you're going to win. They're going to get, you're going to get them there wherever there is. And they have to believe that you're being honest with them. I think the third one, third or fourth ones are probably fairness and compassion, because I think for people to truly want to follow you when times get hard, I think they have to believe that you care about them, that you genuinely care about them and that you're going to treat them fairly, that no matter what comes along, you're going to treat them fairly. And I, and I, and I think it's, I think those are the things that, that make a difference. You and I both have worked for a lot of folks in our lives. And I think we look for those things too. I think we look at the folks and we, and there's probably a handful of people in our careers that we can look at, or we can name that really stood out as somebody that, as we used to say in the Marine Corps, we'd follow to hell and back because we not only had confidence in the fact that they were going to get us there and get us home safely, but that they actually cared about us, that they weren't going to put us in a situation that was unfair or that was, 
that we weren't likely to succeed. And more, more importantly, that they weren't going to put us in a situation that they weren't going to put themselves in. That was the other, that's one of my other big things is don't ask somebody to do something you're not willing to do yourself. And you got to, and we called it, used to call it setting the example. It's really true. People emulate the behavior of the leader. And if you show those traits and you show the right proper behaviors, it, those things become important to the organization. They become important to them. They truly do watch just like your kids. And you used to say, be careful, your kids watch what you do. <laughs> and they do. Guess what? Employees watch what the executives do in a company too. They watch what the leader does. And if you're not out there setting, setting, the, setting the right example and, and, and uh, being professional and, and being honest and, and having integrity and, and so forth and so on, I think you're, I think you're probably setting yourself up for some surprises you're not going to like. So lead, lead by example, I think, is the, is the takeaway there that absolutely holds true military business wherever you happen to be leading. You, you actually touched on an area that I want to dive a little bit more deeply into, and this, I think, is an area that's a challenge for especially managers at mid-level and maybe even senior leaders, and that's team building. When you describe those characteristics that you did, how do you go about making sure that you can identify or pick up on those characteristics and the people you hire or uh, when you're thinking about building out a team? So I, I think the, the first thing you do or the first thing I always did was I make sure that everybody in, the organ, in my organization understood that nobody was more important than anybody else. Sales wasn't more important than delivery. Delivery wasn't more important than, than the planners. They weren't more important than finance. They weren't more important than HR. And I would repeat that and say that over and over again to everybody. The other thing that I did was I made sure that every person who joined the company had a personal interview with me, no matter how low in the organization they were, within the first 30 days that they joined the company. And think of it as our old commander calls when we were in the military. And I did that for two reasons. I did that, one, for them to hear directly from me what was important to me with respect to the culture of the company. In other words, how we behave, what we do, what's acceptable, what's not, what I was expecting from them, and more importantly, what they could expect from me. I did that also so that I wasn't just this title <laughs> up here, the CEO that and it was really funny, uh, MK, because over the years I had m numerous people say to me after these sessions with me, they'd say, this is the first time I've ever gotten to talk to the CEO. And I'm sitting there going, that's for me, that was just crazy. Ter terrible. Um, yeah, terrible. And, and I'm like, how in the world can you expect these people to, to plant a flag on a hill and die for you if they don't even know who you are? if they'd never even hear from you or talk to you. And so I would make sure that was communicated directly to every single person that joined. And then literally once a month, I always had what I called a town hall, where I would literally talk to the entire company about, about how the company was doing, where we were going, what was going on, so that every person in the company had an opportunity to hear what was going on? There was transparency. There wasn't, we weren't hiding things. There weren't a few people up here at the top making decisions. They were then matriculating down through the organization. There was openness every, all along the way, because I believe also that helps everybody get on board 
and be part of the team, right? And everybody understood what the mission was. Everybody understood what, what our goals were for the year or for a program or for whatever or what have you. Everybody heard on a regular basis where we were at, how well we were performing. And so there, there was, there, everybody was part of that discussion, if you will. And then the other thing I did uh, was when we would do things, regardless of what the activity was, there was, in, in my mind, if it was a marketing activity, then marketing owned it. <clears throat> and we would say, go to a show, if you will, for instance. And my marketing people generally were fairly junior to their peers in the company in a lot of, in a lot of, in a lot of respects. But it didn't matter. The thing that I told everybody was I said, look, when you go to this event, you're all working for her or you're all working for them. They're going to set your schedule. They're going to tell you when you need to be in the booth or when you need to do this or when you need to do that. And you are going to comply. You're going to do that. Just like when you go out and we're delivering, whoever's in charge of that team delivering, they're in charge and everybody's going to follow them. Everybody's going to support them. And so it, it builds over a period of time. It builds this culture where everybody be believes I'm no less important than anyone else because I'm not ever right. treated that way. And you give those, and I always would, communication to me was a big thing. And I would give them an opportunity to talk. And I would, and, and, that to me is very important because oftentimes you'll see situations where somebody up to, up at senior talks and you never hear from anybody else. And I would make sure that, that we had a presentation on something that was going on. I'd pick somebody junior to talk about it, not the person who owned it. That did two things right. for me. One, or one it helped. It helped that. elevate everybody and, and, and build that feel, mm -hmm. feeling that I'm just as important. But secondly, it also allowed me to understand how well they were communicating even within their own little unit. So that if this person couldn't really describe what was going on, that's a problem. That's a problem. Hey, so I, I, I want to go back to something that you started with, because I think it, it gets... First of all, it gets challenging to, to, to do what you described the larger a company gets, and that is face-to-face -face time with the, with the boss, the CEO. <clears throat> I've talked now to multiple CEOs, and I think small to medium-sized businesses, I think, have this as an ability more so than sure. larger companies. So how does the CEO of some massive entity translate what you described as that one-on-one -on -one time with leadership? How do they achieve the same thing? That's a great question. And I had to do that, right? Because when we started out and we were very small, I could always have HR set that meeting up for me with whoever that new employee was sometime during that first month. Later on, when we were 300 plus employees, there was no way I could do that with everything else that was going on. So what we did was we had a monthly new, new meeting with the CEO. And so everybody oh, okay. that was hired yeah. during that month would have a, a, a separate session with me for an hour somewhere during that month. And if for some reason they were deployed or something else and they missed their first month and they came to the next one, but they all had to come to that meeting within the first, hopefully the first month that they were on board, but maybe more. As the turnover increased as the numbers of number of employees increased we realized that once a month wasn't enough so we actually had it once a week now you're probably saying well, how does he do that once a week 
I'll tell you how you do that. You make it a priority, right? And I used to say that there's two things that are critically important in this company for its success. The first one is the employees and the second one is our customers. And as a CEO, I don't care what else was going on. There was a percentage of my time that was dedicated to the people, my people and to, the, and to our customers. And I never strayed from that. And it's tough. What, where, 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 where do you think you got that concept from? Is that a military concept for you, or do you just think it's, or you just think it's great leadership? And I'm, I'm talking about mission you know, and people, I, obviously. Uh, I'd like to think I got it very early on, but but you're right. We learned it in the Marine Corps too. You know, it's the old saying was, if your Marines are out in the field, you're out in the field. If your Marines are cold, you're cold. If they're hungry, you're hungry. And you put yourself second to your people always. It's really funny when I first started as a CEO in in the private sector, whenever we had an event or there was an event, I would always get in the back of the channel line. And I had a, (laughs) and people used used to come up and say, sir, why don't you, I'd say no. The rest of you have eaten Ollie. And eventually over time, I noticed that my other senior people started migrating to the back of the line because they learned that my position was we take care of our people first and then we take care of ourselves. And you and I both know we learned that early, early on in the Marine Corps. You get in the back of the chow line, you get, you get in the back of whatever line it is, and if there ain't nothing left by the time you get there, that's just the way. <laughs> yeah, so, so be it. Or if you run out of right. time, you got a limited period of time to, to eat, then let your troops eat first. What about challenges? You're, you're a particularly seasoned leader. You've got lots of deep experience. Is there anything that you consistently struggled with over the years from a leadership perspective that, that was just really hard for you to do? I don't know that, I don't know that, that there was something that I could put my finger on that, that was just terribly hard. And I'll tell you why, because I always had a philosophy that no matter what was going on, my first purpose as a CEO was to cut through everything and get to what was right and what was wrong, right? Figure out what was right and move in that direction. Because I learned very early on that it is far easier to do the right thing first than to have to try to fix something that that you tried to take a shortcut around or or what have you. And I love that principle. I love that principle. Do the right thing first. And then if you have to fix, that's a more defensible position to start from rather than having made the wrong decision. It absolutely is. And you go into these situations, be transparent. What happened? Don't mm-hmm. And don't be, one of the things that, that uh, I used to tell uh, folks all the time that I'd see them make, they're looking for somebody to be at fault. And I'm like, quit worrying about who's at fault. There's, we'll figure that out while we're trying to solve whatever the problem is, or we'll have time to figure that out later. But that's not what's important right now. What's important is making right whatever is wrong, right? Fixing whatever, whatever is broken. And then we can figure out where there's, where there's culpability or, or accountability that is, that, that's needed. I think the other thing too, for that's important and, and that separates leaders from others is you take responsibility. When something breaks, you take responsibility, right? Nine times out of 10, you didn't break it. <laughs> you probably weren't even there. You probably didn't even know it happened. It doesn't matter. You take responsibility for it first. And that's a way of one, shielding your people until you have an, an opportunity to figure out what went, what went wrong or what happened. 
But even when you do that, at the end of the day, I take responsibility for what my organization does or doesn't do. I'll hold my people accountable myself, but that's between me and them. That doesn't involve you. And when you're, when your folks know that, and I had, there were several situations throughout my career working with customers where we would have a situation where a customer, something would happen and you, you, you like to think that all of your customers are wonderful. Some of them, unfortunately, are not. And they would go after one of our employees. And I would step in, and I always stepped in very quickly and said, you talk to me. If there's a problem, you talk to me. We'll figure it out. I'll make it right. We'll fix it. But we're not going to beat up the troops, so to speak. Um, and leaders will do that. Leaders will put themselves in front of the bullet right? Put themselves between their men or their women and whatever's coming at them. People that aren't leaders aren't going to do that. They don't put themselves in, in, in front of the, in front of what's coming. And your people respect that. And, and, and when they know that you're willing to do that, when they know that you're willing to step in front and take the, take that first blow or whatever, then they're more willing to follow you and do it, do the things that you need them to do when you ask them to, because they, they know you're going to be there for them. So I could. Yeah, no, I was going to say wonderful concept, certainly fantastic in practice if you can achieve it. I'm wondering how then you deal with performance issues. Like when you really see a consistent lack of performance at some point, the leader, yeah, you can step up and say, Hey, I got this handled or my team was at, I was at fault, not my team. Let me figure this out. But at some point, maybe there's a performance issue. How do you make sure you're not just taking the bullet unnecessarily and, and making sure that if someone's underperforming, you're giving them those cues that they may need to step up? A bit? Yeah. So again, don't misunderstand me. But being willing to, to take that initial round and, and give time to figure out what happened is, is not the same thing. It's not synonymous with not holding people accountable. Sometimes things just happen. And then, and that's a learning moment, right? Sometimes things happen because somebody failed to do something or somebody did something wrong. And that's an accountability moment. And you have to hold people accountable. You know, that comes back to that fairness thing. It's like I used to tell younger managers and executives all the time. When you allow somebody in your organization to continue to underperform or to continue to misbehave, what you're doing is you're sending a message to everybody else in your organization that you're not important to me. Because what you're saying is I'm willing to let them get away with it, which means the rest of you have to pick up the slack or the rest of you have to put up with whatever's going on. And that's not being fair to them. And so I used to have a saying that bad people, bad employees and bad contracts don't get better with time. They're not like wine. And as difficult as it may be, a, a leader, one of, the, one of the things that a leader has to be able to do is, I used to call it really simple, I said, you have to be able to pull the trigger, meaning, meaning sometimes you have to fire somebody. Sometimes you have to hold somebody accountable. Sometimes you have to walk away from a situation that, that isn't a good situation. And when you do that, it, it sends the message to everybody else that you're not going to tolerate that kind of behavior. I don't expect you to tolerate that kind of behavior. And it, and it helps the whole organization, in my mind, be more confident and more, more willing to hold each other accountable 
for their performance and for their behavior. And that's a big one because you and I both know you can have things going on in in an organization that aren't appropriate or aren't professional. And if some, if you as a leader don't take whatever that is and, and, and handle it, you basically are sending the message to everybody in in the organization that that's okay. You can do that. You can get away with it. From your perspective, having spent as many years as you did in the corporate settings, how do you think the subject of leadership is viewed, generally speaking, across corporate America in in terms of its relative importance to outcomes and maybe, generally speaking, how folks view leadership at both senior and mid-level management? You know, from an overt perspective, I don't think that it's given the attention that it deserves. Meaning the one thing that I was disappointed in transitioning from the military to the civilian, to the corporate culture, was that that for the most part, especially in small organizations where you don't have a lot of the infrastructure and whatnot, leadership is not something that's taught. Leadership is not something that, that is trained. And, and leadership is a journey. It, it starts down here and you're given the basics of leadership and you begin to do those things and emulate those things. And then over time, as your education and your, and your experience grows, your your ability to lead does as well, because you become more deeply, you, you become, begin to understand those traits more deeply and how they, and how to apply them. But somewhere along the line, you have to be taught the difference with what, what leadership is and what it means. And, and, and it doesn't exist, unfortunately, in, in the corporate world across the board. And so one of the things that I used to do in the company was I used to take my folks, uh, especially the junior ones, and we would have these discussions about what, leader, about what a leader is and about what, what leadership means and what those values are and, what those, and why it's important that we do those things. And I would incorporate that into those uh, monthly um, town halls that, that I had with them as well. And I think that, but I think that intuitively, it's very important to them because they know that the success of an organization is very much connected to the ability of whoever's leading that organization. And they sense it in their, at their, in their core because they understand those traits inherently, whether they've actually even actually thought of them as a set of, as a set of guiding principles. I think it's just as important. I really do. And you look at, you look at the folks I think that have been successful and I think you'll very quickly see they, they emulate those things or they, or you see those things in them, regardless of whether they, they've been taught them or not, but it's. I don't know how you replicate TBS, AWS, Command of Staff, the War College on on, a, on, a, on, a, on the private on the private, private sector side, but I think if they could, so, it, it, they would benefit from it. So to be fair, I have seen some replication of what you've just touched upon, but I do want to dive into that as well, which is, by my estimation, certainly what's taught in the U.S. military is that at different stages of your leadership development, you need to be pulled back in and given a new set of tools and perspective around what that level of leadership entails. And you just walk through 
the different schools, certainly from the Marine Corps standpoint, that you go back at the different levels of leadership to reset before you're sent back out into the field. And I've only seen one example of that in, in corporate settings, and I don't know that it's a widely adopted model, but it's interesting to me that it's overlooked, that there's an assumption, one, that this, the minute you make someone a manager in corporate settings, that they assume the entity or organization assumes that person knows how to lead. In other words, not given any period of instruction. And that person may work themselves way all the way up to an SVP or some kind of um, EVP leadership position and have no perspective in terms of uh, leadership instruction provided to them. So I, I think it's a glaring omission. And I do know, and to be fair, there are business schools and other entities out there that it's left up to the individual to identify, hey, maybe I need to go back and, and level set, but, but largely absent, I think, from the business. Yeah, I, I think when you get to the really big co companies, corporations like what you, who you work for, I think you, you begin to see yeah. that because they have the resources, they can send right. people to those schools that exist out there. In my mind, if you really want to grow leaders in business, you got to start down here. And you've got to mm -hmm. start, you got to build that foundation. And then you're right. As they get to the next level, you give them that next set of skills. You know, it's really funny. I was talking to a kid the other day. Kid, he's 50 years old, probably. Anyway, I was talking to an individual the other day. And he was being interviewed for a, for a position. And this is a, a person who's been working for more than 20 years. And he said, he said to me, he goes, I'm a little bit concerned about this role. It's a vice president role. It's responsible for the job. He goes, I don't, I've, I don't know how to manage a budget. I've never managed the budget. And I'm sitting there think, thinking about this and I'm going, wow, I received yeah. education on how to build and how to manage a budget way long time ago in my government career. And it, and it is such a basic skill for a manager or for a leader. You, you've got the... <laughs> You've got to understand the basics of managing a budget to, to understand how to run a company or run an organization or run a department. And, but those are the kinds of things I'm, I'm talking about. Things about HR. Right. You better have a damn good HR department or, or H, HR person and keep them in your hip pocket if you don't have any training in HR. And, and I'm not talking about just the basic training in terms of you know, discrimination, et cetera, et cetera. That's, I'm talking about actual HR training in terms of how do you counsel people? How do you, how do you grade people in terms of performance? How do you build a position description? How do you, how do you build a set of performance goals, et cetera? Those are all basic skills that leaders and managers need that, that how do they get that if somebody doesn't give them that? And the good, the really good ones are smart enough to find those people who can teach them those things or to emulate the people that, that ask questions. But you're right. There's a lot of people that get promoted because of talent or what have you to a managerial position, and they're not at all prepared to be a manager. I often, oftentimes I think there's a disconnect between individual performance and the ability to lead teams. Oh, absolutely. Sometimes there are people who are just rock stars individually, like they can, they can get it done, but they may not necessarily be the best suited to lead a team. It's interesting. Are there other disconnects I think in the business world that you see in that regard? Like where you mismatch or you miss label or identify what you think might be a skill and then subsequently sure. you actually brought up a good one because a lot of people will 
see a person that's really talented at doing something, a doer, and they'll want mm -hmm. to promote them because they'll think if they're really good at it, then they're going to be really good at, at leading. And that's just not the case. And they don't take the time or they don't understand that, that, it, that there's very different muscles that are used in leading than there are. And, do, and I used to tell people all the time, okay, do you really want to be a leader? If you really want to be a leader, then you are not going to do what you're doing today. Whatever it is you grew up doing, that's not what leaders do. Leaders manage yeah. people, they manage budgets, they manage relationships, they manage contracts, they, man they do all kinds of things that have nothing to do with whatever they did when they first started out. And you spend, unless you, you have to, and there's some people who don't want to do that, right? They like being the doer. You saw that in the bureau. Right. I know there are guys that decided, I don't want to go, Absolutely. To, I don't want to go and become an AD. They want, they wanted to stay a super, supervisory special agent and do investigations. Right. Yeah. And you had the ability to do that. I, I, you could do that. You could, yeah, you, you could you stay could. in that and, and that was smart on the bureau's part because they said, look, this guy is great at what he does and he loves what he's doing and he doesn't want to deal with all the administration and the, you know what? <laughs> and then, and then, but there right. are other guys who do want to do that or ladies do want to do that and inspire to do that. And I used to tell people all the time, you know, when you decide you want to be the CEO or the, or the leader of this organization, you need to understand your days, you're no longer a cybersecurity guy. You're no longer a, you know, whatever it is right. that you do. Your job is to lead the organization and you're going to spend 90% of your time doing things that have nothing to do with what we do as a company. And the 10% right. of your time that you get to actually run around with the troops and, and do that stuff and do some of that stuff, you're going to, you're going to cherish because you're going to, you're getting back to your roots and you're going to love it, but that's not what you're getting paid to do anymore. And some people, I used to say, I was telling, I was talking to a, a young man the other day that's a CEO of another company. And he was saying, how do I do it? I said, first of all, you don't do it. That's the first thing you need to learn as a CEO. You don't do it. Your job is to put together the best team of people that you can find to, to do the job the best that, they, that the organization can do it. Your job is team building. Your job is finding talent. It's not your job to do it anymore. And that's a very, and that's a tough transition for some people because they're, they go so far on, let's say in the technical track to a point where now they're supposed to manage people. And the first thing you learn as a leader, if you're, if an organization is growing is that you naturally get further and further away from the work, the day-to-day -day work. And you have to have trust and confidence and faith in your people, and you have to give them the resources and the support to get the job done. But my father used to have a great saying, there's 18 ways to build a bridge. Why do you care as long as that bridge functions and gets whatever it needs to get from one side to the other effectively, whether, whether it's a span bridge or a chain, whatever. And he was right. And that's one of the things as a leader you begin to understand is that it's not my way, it's our way. And we have a mission to, to accomplish. And I've brought all these talented people together, hopefully underneath me, 
and I have to listen and I have to let, and I have to let them lead and I have to let them design how we get from point A to point B. And my job is to figure out, did we do it and, and, and successfully accomplish the mission? And if we did, then, then it's all good. And all right. I am not as skilled an interviewer as I thought, because it took us 36 minutes to get to this, the meatiest part of the conversation, which I think is the gym, <laughs> which I think is the gym uh, takeaway for the audience, which is <clears throat> the transition from being a doer to a leader can be an obstacle for some people, but also it's good that you recognize as you transition, when you raise your hand or you want to, whether it's through self-identification or whether or not you're tapped on the shoulder and someone says, hey, you're an excellent performer. I think you're ready for that next level. You absolutely need to understand that you how what got you there is not what's going to keep you there. Like it, it is then a new performance, a new type of opportunity, which may make up in some cases the remainder of your career in that in that organization. It definitely changes. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. Outstanding. Mac, that was good stuff. <laughs> I appreciate you working with me until we got to that piece because it sometimes it doesn't jump out at me, but but I think we got to it. And that's that again, a gem. Hopefully folks will recognize as they listen to this that that's really the important important piece of takeaway. Among the other gems I think that you offer. Good conversation. I appreciate you. I enjoy it. I I think this is something that we don't talk about enough for our folks that are coming up. You you didn't ask me a question about mentors. Um, A good leader not only has to have mentors and and seek mentors to help them be better, but they have to be one and they have to give back. And and I think that's, that's, I think that's really the difference. People People know if you care. They know if you genuinely care about them. And if you do, and you're doing the right things, and you're focused on doing things that, that are good for the group, they're going to they're gonna respond to that. Awesome. I, I think a fantastic conversation. Mac, I appreciate you coming into the virtual studio, the Leadership Student Podcast. Folks, that's it for this episode of the Leadership Student. Uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation and we'll see you guys the next time around. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leadership Student Podcast with M.K. Palmore, part of the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player subscribe to the ITSB Magazine YouTube channel and share the ITSB Magazine podcast network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit itsbmagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.